Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. Beep, 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 beep. Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today we have a very special guest. Carly Shortino is the creator and host of the hit Viceland show Slut Ever. Now in its second season. On the show, Carly navigates the world of sex, love, hookups, open relationships, sex parties, sex work, sexual technology, and more in a way that is brave, sex, surprising, sex, sexy sex. and in my opinion, very feminist. She's also the co-writer of the new comedy series Now Apocalypse on Stars. She wrote a book called Slut Ever, Dispatches from a Sexually Autonomous Woman in a Post-Shame World, and she writes a sex and relationship column for Vogue.com, Welcome, Carly. Woo. Thank you so much. I'm extremely honored to be here. Yay. <laughs> you need to watch a cartoon so you can learn that more things happen in Planned Parenthood. Is it like trace to pick up a severed penis? You have to like give a blowjob upside down. You know what I mean? It's a magic trick. Because we getting that dick. Carly, how did you become a sexpert and how did you break the news to your mom? <laughs> oh my god the term sexpert always triggers me because it makes it seem like you're some sort of expert in your own sex life uh -huh. do you know what I mean yeah. mm -hmm. but um I am honored when other people say it but anyway so I started writing about sex over a decade ago I was 21 and I was living in London at the time and I decided to start a blog sort of on a whim because I wanted to be a writer but I didn't obviously have any outlet to published in an actual publication <laughs> and I hadn't gone to college and didn't actually know necessarily how to write. So I was like, oh, I'll teach myself how to write by <laughs> blogging. Nice. Um, at the time I was living in this squatted commune where we were trying to form some sort of egalitarian fake society and we were freegans. And I was like, this seems worth writing about, but it kind of quickly became about sex because um, it was something I was doing a lot. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Work. I know. And, um, and I was interviewing like the people I lived with about their sex lives. And I just found this topic endlessly interesting because I think, um, you know, I grew up in this pretty conservative Catholic family. So sex was always off limits. And I think when something is forbidden, it immediately becomes mm -hmm. hyper interesting. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with Barbies because I wasn't allowed to have them. Why weren't you allowed to have Oh, because of like body image. Because my mom went for feminist reasons. That's kind of, well, it's so funny how it's like flipped on its head though. Like she had this idea of what she was trying to yeah, instill in you. Yeah, and I became you. deeply obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing happened with you and doing it. Yeah, that's the troll. I feel like they're like, don't. And then you're like, I need it. Um, yeah. So I was kind of slutty in high school. And then, uh, and then I started this blog. So I was writing about sexuality. And yeah, my mom just found out because it was all on the internet. And it was really a problem for our relationship for the first you years like mm -hmm. I, I didn't even talk to my dad I think for like three years my wow. mom was so angry yeah I think it was first of all there was a ton of shame around this idea of writing about sexuality online in an overt and sometimes explicit way but it was also this they were really terrified of what the implications were of writing about sex online for my future. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because they, they thought you were ruining your life. Yeah. And they like had struggled with money and they were just like, how are you ever going to be able to get a job? 
because of this. And then the whole thing kind of neutralized a handful of years later when I think they just like came to realize like, oh, this is your job. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, But that's pretty much it. Nice. Okay. I know like when I, I, for a while, like 10 years ago, I was editing the sex files section of Bust Magazine. Oh, yeah. And my parents were like, so proud of me working at Bust and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, on page 91, I need you guys to like literally stop reading. Don't ever, (laughs) ever turn the page past page 91. Like don't ever read it. And they, I don't, I mean, they say that they didn't. But especially if I was, you know, like it would be one thing if I was editing it. But if it was like me writing about something that I stuck in my vagina, I would be like, mom, <laughs> seriously, though, like my vagina is discussed on page 93. Do not go there. Right. And she promised that they didn't. Are they religious at all? No, I mean, they're Jews, but they're not like, you know, I wouldn't. It, it's not the same as like being raised Catholic or whatever. Like they didn't think that I was ruining my life by writing about my genitals they just didn't want to know about it yeah well i used and, to have a, yeah. a porn magazine and when my mom found out about like i was writing a feminist porn and she seemed okay when i first told her i was like it's you know you don't like porn because of the images that they push on you this is for people so that they can see what they want to see she seemed okay and then she woke me up from a nap yelling whoremonger at me so whoremonger <laughs> yeah she called me a whoremonger she's chilled out since that time though oh moms <laughs> it's I know. so crazy it's like so shame i mean women have to overcome enough shame as it is just because of like society but it's so crazy i just feel like the la- if I ever have kids, it's just the last thing I ever want to do is dump more of that on them, you know? They made us by Let doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> We've rebelled and succeeded. <laughs> <laughs> I love a lot of things about Slut Ever, but one of the yeah. things that I really love is that there's always uh, women I refer to as bust all-stars popping up on that show. <laughs> women that have been in the pages of Bust Magazine that show up on your show, and I'm like, yeah! Bust All Stars. Oh, I'm talking about Betty Dodson, yeah, who used sure. to be our sex advice columnist. Annie Sprinkle has been in a few times, most recently as an ecosexual. Yeah. Um, Cindy Gallup talked about make love not porn in the pages of Bust, and Kristen Corvette was love on her. this very podcast. I love her. talking about witches, She's sluts, and feminists. I I need to know if. I need to know how much of a priority it is for you to include sex positive feminists in your show. Do you consider Slut Ever a feminist show? Yeah, I definitely consider it a feminist show. Um, I think sometimes, you know, we try not to pigeonhole it too much in the marketing. Like, I definitely don't say, like, this is a feminist sex show or this is a sex show for women. It's sneaky. Yeah, because you know what? I think that we exclude men or men exclude themselves or feel alienated from conversations around sexuality so much. And it would just benefit everybody if they felt included. Do you know what I mean? And so we really try and push that This is a show for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it is, I think at the heart of it, it's really a show about sexuality in general, just from a feminist female sex positive perspective, right? Because the show is made almost entirely by women who are, obviously <laughs> sex positive because it would be crazy. I don't think they would want the job otherwise. But um, yeah, some of the women that you referenced are amazing. Like, and um, Betty Dotson and Annie Sprinkle were two women that for me when I was younger were so informed my attitude about 
feminism and sexuality because they're so funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I feel like feminism gets like super heavy and like even increasingly so. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they had such a, like there was like a reverence, but it was rebellious and that like, they made feminism seem really fun. Yeah. Seem fun. Exactly. I think bust has that attitude too, you know? I think I'm glad you think so. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why we, we like those same kind of people. Yeah. Who make us laugh. Yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about the show is that the one, like something that's cool about vice is that they really give us total autonomy so we can. That's awesome. Yeah. Like it's, um, it's not a, a network that has a ton of money, but we definitely, I can push to really have anybody that we want on the show. And we've had some, you know, people with controversial ideas. I think Betty Dotson, people think is a little controversial too because she's just like I mean she was one of the first women who was really her and Annie Sprinkle were pro-sex at a time when feminism wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily very right, pro-sex right right and they were prioritizing masturbation in ways that were still considered taboo mm-hmm. <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> um yeah so that's super important for me and Kristen Corvette, who wrote the book, which mm-hmm. is Slut's Feminist, um, we did an episode about pussy power in this season um, and sort of all of its ridiculous and magical and inclusive and exclusive forms. I and, love it. Uh, and so we did a scene with her where she obviously identifies as a witch and she casts spells with her orgasms or she like sort of manifests her destiny via her orgasms. Makes and sense. And you're moving the energy. Yeah, exactly. And she taught me how to... Yeah, cast an orgasmic spell, and we used these crystal dildos called chakras, and it was truly one of the most fun days on set I've ever had. She's a gem. I love that you guys did that. I just love how on the show generally you seem game for being a guinea pig for like all kinds of new sexual technologies. I'm thinking about you were testing out like a male sex doll and you got your body scanned for like weird VR porn and stuff. And I also liked how... On the Betty Dodson episode, you were really clear about your personal boundaries. You were like, I'm not going to masturbate to orgasm on camera. Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, I just wonder if it's difficult negotiating your boundaries while hosting, like, a sex show like this. That's a really good question. You know, I do think it's important to kind of dive into these experiences because I think so often the way that sex is portrayed on, like, film and television – in terms of, you know, doc documentary is that it's like this host who's looking at sex from a distance, right? Or even journalistically, like a journalist who's writing about sex, but they're like, okay, these other people are, are doing, doing this weird thing. shit. Right. They're doing weird shit. Like, oh, these freaks in a dungeon. Or it's sort of sensationalized, like what the kids are doing these days. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think, or it's fear mongering, obviously. And I think that I, being able to kind of, I don't know. It's like, I think normalizing or destigmatizing to be able to just kind of jump in and try things. Yeah. Um, and sort of be a surrogate for the audience in a way. But yeah, it's hard because the Betty Dotson scene was the one time where it was like, okay, my mom (laughs) (laughs) and just like, I have this camera crew and I'm their boss. And like, should I get my like literal vagina out, you know, on set? But um, we did it in this, I just made sure that we did it in a way that made me feel comfortable, like that there was enough of a barrier that the camera people couldn't see. And like, you know, obviously my lower torso is not on camera. But yeah, it's something that I think I've gotten better at just saying like, this is not okay. Because when we did the 
episode where I had sex with the sex doll. This was like four years ago when we were doing the series online. And in order to do that, I had to get like kind of drunk. And then afterward, I was like, if you have to get drunk to do something, probably it's not a good idea to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I could see the nervousness that would go down there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the same for sex, right? Like, that's what the sex educator told me. She was like, if you feel like you need to get wasted to have sex, you shouldn't be having it. Oh, good advice. Solid advice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you don't have to get drunk to do your job anymore. (laughs) True. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever planned to cover something on the show and then changed your mind because there were creeps involved or the project was just creepy in a way that you didn't anticipate? That's a good question. Yeah, actually, this is going to sound like man Haiti, but it really isn't. Um, there was a couple of times when we decided to exclude portions of episodes. Um, like, for example, we did this episode about sex and weed, and there was these group of men who are kind of making weed porn, but it was just girls in the porn, and it was all this whole male production company, and there was something about it that felt sort of weird. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm it was these guys who were like making money off of these women monetizing their sexuality. And not, I'm not saying that that never should be the case, but I do think that it is a weird dynamic when it's only men running a company and only women. Right. In it. it was just yeah. like the guy gave me a super creepy vibe. So then we ended up finding this other company called, um, green triangle. I think it's called green triangle girls. And then it was just like a porn company run by women. And I was like, Oh, right. This just feels like on the set feels like a better vibe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, did you watch the killer Mike, um, show where he was talking, he, he was trying to teach people how to change, fix their sink and he was going to do it through porn. But then he got like <laughs> a really like, uh, the lady a queer was a like, feminist pornographer. Yeah, to do it. He wasn't just going to get a creepy guy. He went really all the way around and he had a gay guy. He had a, uh, a straight couple. He had, he tried to be very inclusive when he did it. And I thought that mattered to get the story across, you know? You don't want to feel alienated. Totally. And like you were saying um, that you had a feminist porn magazine. And my friend, who's a woman, like a queer woman who makes porn, she had this really, I thought, interesting definition of feminist porn because I was like what is feminist porn like what does that even mean and she was like I consider it porn made by a woman in which just like the production is ethical and makes people feel comfortable right it's not necessarily about like the cliche is like romantic oh no (laughs) (laughs) No. like what's your definition of it it's pretty much that I mean we had some of the stuff was made we had men involved with it but in the background but it's from a women's perspective, and so it what needs to be something that a woman can feel like she's involved in. You don't always want to feel like you're the – you want to something there to make you excited, not just like you're watching somebody, something else that is made entirely for someone else to get off on, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it has to be a guy or a girl that we would be attracted to instead of just like – some busted dude getting off with a really overly attractive lady that, and then you're like, who's me here? Who am I supposed to be into? You know, some, something where you you can attach yourself and get aroused by it. I'm not a big porn connoisseur, but if I see something where there's a sex worker who looks drunk, high, tired, and sad, um, it's just like a total lady boner shrinker immediately. Oh, yeah. And like, I've yeah. never seen that in something that 
purports to be feminist porn. Usually in something that's quote unquote feminist porn, it's like the radical notion that like the women should be having a nice time. (laughs) (laughs) And everything's consensual. It doesn't have to be romantic, but people should be having a nice time. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And be able to state their boundaries. Do you know what I mean? It's just normal. Like my friend, like they're treated like people and not (laughs) like farm animals in bondage. Like they're actually people. Exactly. Yeah, like my friend. Unless they didn't want to be treated like a person. Right. Which case. But even then, they should be having a nice time. They're having a great time. Yeah. Completely agree. (laughs) Radical ideas. (laughs) (laughs) You've come in contact with a lot of sex workers through doing the show. Do you have feelings on, um, there's a, you know, debate ranging right now about the possible legalization of the sex industry and FOSTA-SESTA, how how do we um, get in the way of traffickers while also protecting sex workers and their livelihoods and rights? Do you have opinions on it? Yeah, I mean, I'm very pro decriminalization because I think it's just safer for everyone involved. I mean, the, you know, with Slut Ever on my blog and then the show, I think it's, I've always for a long time found it really important to cover sex work because well I've worked in the sex industry for like five or six years I was five or six years I was a dom and then I was working as like a sugar baby which is basically just like a dom cover for escort Um, (laughs) like a legal loophole name um but I've seen such a crazy change in the way that sex work is just perceived or um in, in culture, like in the last few years, like no one talked about sex work. I think people were definitely not accepting of sex work in the larger culture. You never saw it written about. People didn't care about sex workers rights. The mm-hmm. feminist movement didn't even really mm-hmm. give a fuck about sex work. Like, I don't know if you remember, but in the first women's March, um, initially in like the original memo, they included, you know, like women of all ages and races and sexual orientations and they included sex workers and then people got mad and there was some backlash mm. and then they excluded so sex workers mm-hmm. from Rude. it's insane and then in the second um installation of the women's march they included them back in yeah yeah and i think that some like you know there's a lot of sex worker activism happening and it seems like the feminist movement has really embraced the sex worker community which i think is amazing um, but alongside that, there's obviously been this major horrible thing that has happened, Sesta Fosta, which is making it a lot less safe for sex yep. workers to just do their jobs. And I have a lot of sex worker friends and they're just saying, so basically, should I explain? Do people know what it is? Go for it. Um, yeah. It's super complicated, but it's basically us two bills that purported to make it more difficult to traffic to stop sex trafficking, but in actuality has actually just made it more difficult and dangerous for sex workers to do their jobs because they change the law so that if you're a website that in any way promotes sex work or where you can like be Craigslist, sex, where like Craigslist casual counters or Backpage or like Eros um, or the erotic review or even like Facebook and Instagram that you can be legally um, that you can be charged with promoting sex trafficking. Whereas before it was like websites were not responsible for people, whatever people did on those right. websites. Um, so what happened is that websites didn't want to deal with the risk of that. So Backpage closed, Casual Encounters closed. 
Um, but then also as a side effect of that, all the websites where sex workers were creating communities in order to screen clients um, or like safely advertise themselves as sex workers rather than like working in the streets, mm -hmm. all those were shut down. Mm -hmm. So now, I mean, being able to like blacklist clients and to communicate with other sex workers about which clients are dangerous is like integral to you not being like a murdered, yeah, right. murdered or raped. Exactly. Um, and a lot of women who are able to autonomously, autonomously advertise themselves online now have to like go back and have pimps again. So all these things are really bad. And I think that a way to just bring everything above board, obviously would be to decriminalize sex work. I'm ranting, but I mean like there's so many examples of it working like in Europe and Canada yeah. and Australia. So it's like, I just don't understand why this isn't, we're just like such a puritanical bizarre society. Well, thank you for getting into that, <laughs> for sharing your views. I agree. Yeah, it's just like, does anyone not agree? I mean, I actually am a little bit behind. Is like, is the talk about it being decriminalized for real or are people just saying it should be? I think people are just saying it. But I know that you were, like, we we're talking about the upcoming presidential election and there's dispute over Kamala Harris because she is, was pro FOSTA SESTA. Yeah. She was one of the biggest supporters. <clears throat> and so like I know that outspoken against even that though page. we're not at the point where it's like full legalization is on the table, like it's, it's a real sort of sticking point for liberal voters as to whether like where candidates stand on the issue, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is the, the beginning of something <laughs> I, I would have to think. Yeah. We'll see. I'm curious about, the culture at Vice, and I'm not sure if you are in a position to answer this or not, but I was, I, I it's a head scratcher for me how Vice was co-founded by Gavin McGinnis, who also founded these Proud Boys, who are like a scary right-wing men's group. And I know that he like quit. Well, the, he got ousted. I know he's like ousted. He's not at Vice anymore. He's not a Proud Boy anymore. I know that. But like, was there ever any messy overlap with that for you? Like, is there any kind of creepy legacy or specter of McGinnis that you have to navigate as a feminist making a show at Vice? Yeah. Again, good but complicated question because... <laughs> So Vice is just this mega company, you know, that employs tens of thousands of people. And I've been working there in various forms for 10 years. I started as an intern in the London office and then, you know, in 2012 started making a web series. So it's been so long. And I will say that I don't want to in any way invalidate any experience, negative experiences that women have had. I haven't had any negative experiences interpersonally at the company at all. I've just been super lucky I've worked with powerful men of the company who have been extremely supportive on our show. The producers are almost entirely women and our network executive is a woman. So it's like, I just feel really supportive, supported. But, um, and then the other thing is that there were definitely men who were called out for behaving inappropriately, but also the company has so many fucking people that I don't think there's any company that didn't, well, not a lot of companies experiences that experience that I will say that they're, my issue is that they're kind of financially exploitative. They're kind of famous for not paying people very much money. Mm -hmm. And that's my issue rather than any kind of like sexual mm -hmm. negativity, you know? Yeah. But they're trying to be better. I mean, they've obviously appointed this female CEO. Um, 
But company's pretty racially diverse, which I think is a good thing. But yeah, it's like, dude, it's the hipster sweatshop stereotype is kind of real. Like people <laughs> are not making enough money it's there. It's real and alive. Yeah, I hear that. I live that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at least this is a smaller company with no backers. Right. I don't know what their excuse is. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I also even like with Gavin McGinnis not actually being there, like I worry about his flying monkeys and like I wonder if you get like the incels and the basement dwellers. I think they had such a a definitive split and everybody was like, fuck that bitch when he left. So I don't think that they're... Yeah, I just... I, I think wor- everybody I was like, this dude is a maniac. When yeah. I watch your show, I'm like, I hope that incels aren't like <laughs> creepy, <laughs> creeping on, onto the internet and threatening you. No, I actually don't feel like that at all. I mean, it's just a weird, it's, I think every company is sort of reassessing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you guys work at a really specific place because I'm sure this is a super femi- like the most feminist yeah. company that you could really work for, right? <laughs> <laughs> and also the smallest. Yeah, I mean, there's only six of us. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Six of us who this work with the whole You're magazine? Uh-huh. <laughs> How do you guys do that? It's a magic trick. <laughs> I don't know how we do it. What we do it. <laughs> We're real tired. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I think everyone who works in media, especially digital media right now, is exhausted and doesn't make enough money because the money's just dwindling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also so many layoffs constantly. I mean, you can't lay us off because there's, there's only six of <laughs> no us. Room. Yeah. But yeah. So we'll, we'll make it through like cockroaches. But everybody else is just mass firings all over the place. These oh, yeah. streets. It's tough out there. <laughs> Let's talk about sex ed. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the majority of states here in America don't mandate sex ed at all. That is the wildest. There's only 13 states that require that the material be medically accurate. And <laughs> oh, my God. The most psycho, really. Yeah, and oh abstinence education is central to most sex ed programs. Um, I know I didn't learn shit. I mean, like I had sex ed, but it was literally like the picture of like the egg and like the drawing of the sperm, like going into the egg. Like there was was nothing class. There was nothing (laughs) about like consent or pleasure or like anything. It was literally don't get pregnant. The end. That's the only thing my mom ever told me. That's the only thing my sex ed ever told me. Although they showed like the sperm goes in the egg. Don't get pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> but like do you feel like your show fills in some gaps in sex ed and how do you feel about younger people watching your show I know it's not meant for young people but you know also that they're gonna watch it yeah I mean we actually did an episode about the state of sex ed in America in this series and oh my god it's super trash like <laughs> <laughs> robo trash 5000 seriously like emergency emergency we went to um, this rural town in outside of Atlanta in Georgia and we just talked with these kids who were amazing they were like petitioning to get better sex education but it was this abstinence only program yeah where the idea that sex ed doesn't have to be medically accurate is just like lol like what (laughs) like what are they teaching you um that if you have sex you'll die yeah like I always make that joke where that scene in Mean Girls where they're like the sex ed teacher says, do not have sex. Otherwise, you'll get pregnant and die. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, that's literally what sex ed is. Um, you know, my sex ed was just like a slideshow of the worst cases of herpes on yeah, Earth. Yeah, there was a oh lot of... 
And I remember a poster that I stole from my guidance office that had a guy that looked like A.C. Slater, and it said, abstinence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I still had that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great poster. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just fear-mongering, right? And so it's just all the ways that sex can be harmful. Meanwhile, it's just so important to remind people that sex can be really fun and connect you to people and empowering and make you feel more confident and that it's pleasurable. And so I actually do consider slut ever to be for young people because at the center of what we're trying to do with that show is to remind people that sex is fun, Mm -hmm. which I feel like, I feel like truly right now sex is going through a super dark time. Yeah. Because of, me too and time's up and it's a very confessional time about how people have been um abused totally and i think it's complicated because we're having these super necessary conversations around consent and sexual harassment and abuse but simultaneously i just feel like those conversations need to happen alongside conversations around pleasure and all the ways that sex can be fun and enlightening you know and i think that that's missing Mm-hmm. And like, imagine if you're a young kid growing up right now and you only, again, get these like danger, danger signs. Mm-hmm. Like people say there's all these studies that young people are having less and less sex. And I just think that's super depressing. Don't you? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, thankfully, there's all these other outlets for people to educate themselves about sexual pleasure. Now. But mainly kids are educating themselves with porn. And that's kind of its own other problematic journey. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Oh, completely. I mean, I'm extremely pro porn and I think it's super fun and effective <laughs> but I think that as a form of sex ed it's really bad because imagine if you don't have any sex education or knowledge of sex and your parents have never talked to you about consent and you just see like a gangbang scene right like what how on earth are you interpreting that so I think that it's we like oh I'm gonna grow up and 10 men are gonna jizz on my face right and I think <laughs> I would you be would, like no thank you I would just be like god sex is exhausting <laughs> exactly <laughs> And we just imitate, right? Like we just imitate. So I think, I don't know if this is true for you guys, but I definitely watch porn young. And, you know, I think that I was so performative during sex for years because I was like, oh, you have to like moan a lot. Like even if something like doesn't feel good at all, you have to like give a blowjob upside down. (laughs) What was it? USA all night. Is that what it was? Everybody would watch out when their parents went to sleep. Skinamax, man. I didn't have skin on next. I think yeah. it was on USA. All right. And it was just like real cheesy, campy porn-ish porn. It wasn't even that. full porn. It was just like low-level porn. Like <laughs> grinding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and lots of moaning. Right, right. Yeah, it's sad. But I think that if we had proper sex ed, then porn would just, we would understand, or young people would understand that porn is entertainment. And they would know the difference between sex and porn. Right, just like you when that you see a is movie. Performative. Yeah, when you see a movie, you don't think that it's real. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like that. Like you don't need to think that the every time a plumber comes over that you're gonna get <laughs> you're gonna get railed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but also it like go hand in even hand. if it's movie sex that's not porn, I feel like I grew up with unreasonable expectations that like the scene in Dirty Dancing with Patrick Swayze in, and it was raining and they were playing Don't You Feel Like Crying? Well, she and, did get pregnant, which is what they with, told you. No, uh, not in that scene. <laughs> Jennifer oh. Grey did not get pregnant. She uh, just had some hot, losing her virginity sex with with um, Johnny Castle. Oh, right, the other girl. God, I haven't seen that movie in so <laughs> right, long. Right, the Penny other was so Prego. Long. But like, yeah, I feel like those 
expectations that I had of losing my virginity from watching Dirty Dancing were just as unrealistic as porn expectations. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like now television has increasingly realistic depictions of sex. Yeah. There's, I think in the New York Times, there was like a, a recent article about more realistic visions of like tween horniness, like with uh, sex Pen education. 15, sex education. Big um, mouth. Big mouth. Yeah, all of those. But yeah, there. I, I agree that there are more realistic horny tween girls out there. I wonder if this is because there's more women working in the behind the scenes now. Yeah, I mean, I definitely imagine. There's also a show made by a man, Joe Swanberg, called Easy on Netflix that I really love the portrayals of sex because they're just like messy and mm-hmm. fun, like clumsy and people are talking during sex. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I love. Um, yeah, sex education is great. I think we're trying. I think we're getting, it's getting better. Yeah. I loved the Big Mouth Valentine's Day episode. Yeah, so did I. I was, I was arguing. It was like based on when Harry met Sally and really? it was really I cute. Didn't, pick up on that i was just really into the planned parenthood bit and i was arguing with somebody about planned parenthood anti-choice person and then i was like you need to watch a cartoon so you learn that more things happen at planned parenthood (laughs) (laughs) if the sexpert that you are today could give tween carly advice about navigating her burgeoning sexuality what would it be okay i say this a lot but this is truly what i think (laughs) um I think it's important to tell young people slash my former self that there's this really antiquated idea that when you're having sex, men are getting something and women are giving up something. Right. And I think that that is super destructive and just super outdated. Because we get in that dick. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Like everyone's getting something out of sex. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like if you level that playing field, it's just like, if you, it's so pervasively represented in movies. Like when you think about when men have sex in the movies, there's no such thing as bad sex. Like the worst example of sex you would have is like someone's tricked into sex by someone's like unattractive mom. But like the next day it's like a joke. (laughs) Yeah. But like if a woman has any form of even remotely negative sexual experience, like the next day she's traumatized and crying in the shower. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If that's the only example, like if you, if you're told like, Oh, if you have a negative sexual experience, you'll be traumatized. Then after you have a negative sexual experience, you're like, Oh shit. I'm traumatized, traumatized. you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And has being the host of slut ever affected the way you date and have sex now as a grown up lady? Oh, interesting. I definitely am more versed about like what's on the menu. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, we did this episode about ecosexuality that you were talking about any sprinkle. And we did this episode about robot sex where this porn star taught me how to like, there's this whole genre of robot porn where women pretend to be sex robots, which is sort of a version of submission. Mm-hmm. And so she taught me how to like move my body like a robot and be like, I will do whatever you want. You know? <laughs> oh my God. How, how do they keep a straight face? That I is would laugh acting. So much. That, is, that is some acting. Cause I would lose my shit. I'd be like, I, <laughs> I am a sexual robot. <laughs> um, so from that scene, I got, I had this robot costume and then I like experimented with that with my boyfriend once where I was like, I definitely don't think that I would have been pretending to be a sex robot with a full on silver sex robot costume if we didn't make the show. (laughs) (laughs) To our sweet listeners at home, (laughs) 
if or wherever you are, we're not if you farting. can hear like this weird sort of <laughs> farting sound, we're recording at Bust Headquarters right now, and there is someone working on a floor above us with a drill, and we asked them not to, and they stopped, but they started again. So if you hear just the vaguest sousant of a fart sound, <laughs> just know that it's a drill. Go with it. It'll be over soon. <laughs> just quickly... What are your hopes and dreams and plans for 2019? Are there any dream guests you want to talk to that you have not yet? Um, I don't know if we're going to be doing a third season of the show yet. So um, ugh, I can't say that for sure. But I will say that on March 10th, I don't know when this is coming out, but on March 10th, which is next week for right now, um, <laughs> The show now Apocalypse comes out, which I've been, which I was a co-writer of with um, the f- director Greg Araki, who's um, like a longtime queer filmmaker. He was like one of the originators of queer cinema back in the '90s, mm-hmm. and um, or pioneers, I guess. And um, the show is super Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, exactly. He kind of launched his sort of film career. Yeah, the, what was it skin. like? Mysterious Skin. Yeah, that yeah. movie was heavy. Dude, I know that one was heavy. That's heavier than his other movies. He's like a lot of. Nowhere was a great one. Doom Generation was great. He oh, launched. I remember that one. He was the first person who put Rose McGowan in a movie. Actually, yeah, she starred in Doom Generation. But he's um, got an eye. Yeah, and his films are really progressive, sexually avant-garde. A lot of, you know, he was like putting bisexual male characters in movies back in the '90s when like that was not a thing. Yeah. Um. So we wrote the show together, and I'm excited about it. And you know, hopefully, we're gonna make a s- second season this summer. And it's basically about this group of friends in um. LA and, and they're kind of trying to make it in Hollywood in the midst of what like may or may not be an alien invasion. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. Yeah. What channel is it? It's on stars. Uh, we've been calling it a queer sex in the city meets twin peaks with aliens. I yes. like this. I like this. I think you guys will like it given like knowing you for 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds up my alley <laughs> for sure. And we like to end by asking all of our guests what you're watching. And when I say what you're watching, it's a very broad question. It means movies, TV, books, music, music videos, podcasts. If there's any kind of pop culture that you are consuming, we want to know about it because it is probably cool. Carly, what you watching? Okay, so I love Broad City. Obviously, the new season of Broad City is great. I'm actually binging Friday Night Lights right now, which is like a TBT. <laughs> One of our uh, coworkers, Lisa, loves that show. I've never yeah. seen it. It is so good. It's just like about the small town, and it's amazing. And it's just a classic show, but it, that's not really news for anyone. Um, <laughs> my favorite podcast is this podcast called Reply All, which is on Gimlet. It's about the internet, and it's just super funny. And it's about sort of like memes and just like what's going on online on the internet, but it's also about, they do like serious reporting too. I also love Sam Harris's podcast. Do you know it? That Mm -hmm. name sounds familiar. He talks a lot about meditation and I've just got into meditating, Um, which actually has really been helpful for my anxiety. Yeah. And he just like interviews like scientists, psychologists. He's really smart. He's a neuroscientist and just talks to people about, culture and i really like it thank you so much for joining us thank you this has been a delight and thank you for adding fun feminism to this sexuality discourse i feel like you're changing minds and giving ladies healthy wholesome feminist lady boners (laughs) 
I oh my god Th- thank you so much and also right back at you guys because i really love the work that you're doing and you guys are super fun too oh thank you're you so fun. Love best best gross. <laughs> when we come back i'm gonna ask callie and hopefully callie's gonna ask I'll me i'll probably ask you what you watching <laughs> Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via wolfievibespublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you. And we're back. I liked your and we're back face. You had a lot of sass on that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The construction above us is still going on. It still sounds like farts. I hope that you'll want to listen to... The bright uh, note is now we can just fart amongst this. And, and we can blame it on the yeah, ceiling. Nobody would know. Yeah. So prepare <laughs> for some not so silent but deadlies. <laughs> Callie, what you watching? You know, I was just thinking, okay, well, this is pop culture related because I was the other day, me and Camilla were farting up a storm in the bed. And I thought of that episode of Sex in the City where Carrie farted in the and bed with like, Big. So humiliated and distressed. And then I was thinking, I was just thinking about that when I was trying to go back to sleep because we both farted each other awake. And I was like, does she think she doesn't sleep fart? If that's what she thinks, she's wrong. She's wrong. <laughs> and also, if that was like really a reason for like deep sustained humiliation, I would spend my whole life humiliated. <laughs> yeah, he's lactose intolerant. And I love <laughs> cheese. So well, you got to get along with farts at some point. That's true marriage. love. <laughs> yeah, your marriage sounds pretty pretty tight. Ooh, sometimes I got to leave the room, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> because of you or because of him? Because of him, lactose intolerant farts be stinky. Mm. Mine are just loud, and they never stink, because I'm a lady. Okay, Callie, what you watching? <laughs> so I've been, I watched the entire season of Umbrella Academy. Have you watched it yet? I haven't. Should I? I was. I usually do not like superhero things. It's you know on this. Netflix, right? Yeah, it was so good. It was way better than I thought. It's like all these kids that each of them have like a superpower, and his dad basically buys them. They're all born in different places. For some reason, forty-three women all give birth at the same time, and none of them were pregnant. Ooh. And so then the guy tries to get all these kids. You don't really get the old man's backstory, but then all the the kids that he has, he has seven, and they all have special powers. And one of them can see dead people. I see dead people. But because dead people apparently have are not polite and will just fucking talk your face off, um, it was it, it made him become an alcoholic and a and a user. You don't realize that at first. So this may be a spoil, but I guess if you see the comic books, you know. But anyway, so in order to not fucking deal with dead people all the time, he becomes a junkie. And I was like, I guess story checks out. If there's ever any legitimate reason to fucking live on a bender, it would be because dead people won't shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was really good. Um, I saw Kim Jong stand up. Yeah. Um, you complete me, ho. Have you watched it yet? No. Oh my god, it's so good. Yeah. Well, you know, I love him from Masked Singer now. Yeah, he's the best judge on Masked Singer. 
he's really good at playing off the audience like a crowd work yeah the bulk of it was him just ad-libbing crowd work and he was hilarious i was dying and you gotta get him in the magazine we oh these i already pitched it Mm -hmm. um and he had a really sweet story about whatever movie it was that he made with bradley cooper and his mom was fighting uh breast cancer and like it's just a really sweet story about how they would fly him back every time she had chemo and pause the filming of the movie. Aww. I know, I had feels. <laughs> One time he met Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks meets him, and then he goes, whoa, that's your real voice? And he thought the voice that he used in The Hangover the whole time was his real voice. And, <laughs> and Ken was like, oh, uh, you don't sound like Forrest Gump every day? <laughs> <laughs> to share ken <laughs> and then i saw the documentary beyond the curb have you seen it yet no it's about flat earthers oh my god oh dude it's a wild ride and at one point this lady's like all these scientists just keep trying to give us math <laughs> stop trying to give it to me Oh, my God. And then they're, like, doing all these experiments. They're, like, at a Flat Earth convention. Is this the documentary where some guy's like, I didn't choose to be a Flat Earther. Flat Earth chose me. <laughs> yes. It is wild. It is insane. And then they, they're, they like, trying to do these science experiments at the end at the convention to prove that the Earth is flat. But all of them are proving the Earth is round. <laughs> So instead of taking that as perhaps the earth is round because five experiments later it keeps saying not flat. They just keep trying to do different experiments. So I don't know. And they think the earth is in a dome, like a snow globe. That it's a flat, flat thing with a globe on top. Well, I mean, (laughs) bless their hearts is really all I can say about that. (laughs) And it was... It was wild. It was insane. Oh, and then I wanted to talk about the SNL bodega bathroom sketch. Oh, it was legendary, legendary, legendary. It they was so good. Put obviously so much budget, time, energy, rehearsal. Also, into- another Cats musical shout out. Cats is really Cats trending is on right these now. streets. Yeah. And I hope that someday we can erase the memory of this horrible memory. In a moment of shame. But I remember while I was watching that sketch, one time when I myself had to use a bodega bathroom. You really did? I never have. I called out of work because of it. So, okay, I was on my way to work. I uh-huh. was hungover. This was, I was like in my early 20s, probably. Okay. So living that hung, hungover lifestyle. I was also on my period. Oh cramping like a maniac so then i go in the bodega and i was like felt really flushed and started sweating uh-huh. probably because i was dehydrated from both of those things at the same time and so then i just like leaned on the paper towels i was like i need to go to your bathroom and the bodega my bodega guy was like uh all right <laughs> and he takes me down these stairs uh-huh. and then the bodega bathroom is really small and they had like a tube a water tube that they'd cut short for I don't know what reason that was draining into the sink. But since they cut it short, it was splashing everywhere. So the whole bathroom was covered in water, water, mystery tube water. And I'm shitting and puking at the same time 
But this was convenient because the bathroom was so small that I could just lean over into the sink. sink. (laughs) And so I'm shitting, I'm puking, and water is coming onto my head. I get up. I Theoretically, you're bleeding as well. Oh, yes, definitely bleeding. And, you know, period poops, is that's a whole world. It's It's like Neapolitan ice cream. Yep. (laughs) Lori Florentine said that. It, It was a wild scene. So then I get up. I'm like sweaty, wet, disgusting. And I had to sit on the toilet, obviously, because I wasn't in a state to hover. And so then I just got a Sprite, and I was like, I'll pay for it later. <laughs> walked out of the bodega. And then I got, out, got to my house, and I called Lori, and I was like, our boss, and I was like, I can't come in. I'm in really bad cramps. And I had to use the bathroom in the bodega, so I have to take a shower. <laughs> she was like, what? So then I- and then a votive candle started singing <laughs> the song from Cats. It was traumatizing. And that is what I've been watching. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> what have and you been watching? Definitely TMI. <laughs> I, of course, have been watching Leaving Neverland on HBO. I haven't yet. I haven't My obsession it. with Michael Jackson is deep and real. I had a poster of him on my wall in the 80s that I used to kiss every night before I went to bed. He's the second celebrity person I was ever in love with after Mr. Rogers. I loved Michael Jackson. His music continues to be my favorite music. I believe his accusers. Mm -hmm. He is canceled. It is very painful for me to cancel him. Thriller is the best. He is canceled, Callie. Well, let me ask you this. I was thinking about canceling people who are dead. I canceled him before he was dead. Okay. Because I canceled him during the trials because I believed his accusers then. You would not go back and listen to the bad album. You know what? I didn't. There have been times when my luscious research assistant has pulled up, I would say, uh, a video Michael Jackson playlist, and I did not stop it. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's so good. Oh, my God. (laughs) But I've never done it myself. I'll tell you this, because, you know, R. Kelly is a similar vibe for me. Uh Uh-huh. And I was thinking, okay, I can separate the art and the artist. And since he's alive, I will not give him any of my money. Mm-hmm. He'll get no clicks online. I can probably listen to the burned CD double up and nobody will know. And it'll be my shameful secret. But then I realized all those songs that he wrote, Sex Kitchen, Sex Weed, Sex Planet, they're all about fucking children. So now I can't. Yeah. I don't, I can't listen to your Biscuit sex jokes because they were about children. Yeah. Thanks for ruining everything. Also, <laughs> I felt vindicated that I was reading um, the New York Times article about leaving Netherlands written by the Times culture critic Wesley Morris. And his part that like shook him to the core is the same that shook me, which is in the first part where we've already heard about a lot of really graphic sexual stuff that was going on but the man james safe chuck who was the one from california who started being sexual with michael jackson at age 10 he pulled out this very beautiful jewelry box and it's full of jewelry that michael gave him and he talked about how they had a secret private wedding ceremony just between them they spoke vows to each other and he held up a diamond wedding ring how old was he when that happened? he was 10 
and he held up the wedding band full surrounded by diamonds that Michael Jackson gave him at their wedding that they had secretly and how he would take this 10 year old boy to the jewelry store and they would pretend that they were picking out jewelry for Michael Jackson's made up girlfriend when in fact he was picking out jewelry for this child that he was being sexual with. Disgusting. Like, if he didn't think that he was doing anything wrong, like, why would they why be would lying? Why would it be a secret? And why yeah. would he have this actual tangible box of jewelry bought for him by his spiritual husband, Michael Jackson? Ugh. And then getting, like, jilted and tossed over for a younger man when you're 12? Ah! Is is too much feeling, you know, like feeling like you're in the first wives club when you're not you don't even have teen appended to your age yet. Oh, my God, this is disgusting. Talk about mind fuckery. People are like, well, if it happened, then why didn't they testify against him at the trial? It's because they're in love with him. Like they were literally in these deep psychosexual God, relationship is, with their I don't know idol to watch it. and they're in love with him and so he said lie for me and they did because they're in love with him it's not like rocket science it's yeah. like, like it's not proof that they're lying that they said that he didn't touch them when they were asked when it's they were disgusting. children Ugh. the wedding ring flipped my lid for some reason maybe it was just like the poignancy with which he held it and regarded it Oh, God, it's so gross. Fucker. He's Michael Jackson, and I want to give him every chance in the world, but I cannot. Good for you. Um, my musical soundtrack these days has been mostly Solange Knowles' new album, When I Get Home. It's half an hour long, and it's an exploration of her origins in Texas, and it's very beautiful, arty, and weird. I love her. I just love her. She's so experimental. She's such like a performance artist in a way that we haven't really seen in a long time in popular culture. You think? Like... I just feel like performance art was really big. In the I feel like Bjork is still pulling it. Maybe Janelle Monet. There, there are a few. Yeah, I agree. Bjork's new concert looks batshit baby bananas. I love it. I love it. I can't. She goes I, I, full conceptual. She is such a maniac. I love her. I, I agree with you that Solange is in that tradition. And I love her new album. And I love her. And I think she's great. Um, I also like the new Cardi B, Bruno Mars collaboration, Please Me. Let me hear you say They uh, grind up against each other in a taco shack <laughs> in Los Angeles, and they like stand up in a very dangerous manner in convertibles speeding through a tunnel. And um, I will tell you that I wish Bruno Mars was her man and not Offset. <laughs> tell it. Tell it. Because Offset does not deserve her love and affection and loyalty. He has done her dirty too many times. I don't care that he's culture's father. 
I want him to be replaced <laughs> by someone who will be good to her before culture is old enough to know who her daddy is. And yeah. that is me intervening in the lives of people who I do not know. <laughs> and I also want to say that after the Michael Cohen hearings that we had to suffer through as a nation, that the 2018 Ice Cube track, Arrest the President, has been on heavy rotation at Chez Moi, thanks to my luscious research assistant. And yeah, I feel like that should have just been like thumping in the background through the entire Cohen hearings. But as the Mueller investigation comes to a close, just crank up Ice Cube's Arrest the President and get into it. Arrest the President, you got the evidence. That nigga is Russian intelligence. When it rains, it pours. Did you know the new white was orange? Hulu has some really good documentaries right now. There's Three Identical Strangers that I, saw I watched. That a while ago. So good. And I also watched Bad Reputation on Hulu What's as that? well. That's the Joan Jett documentary. Ooh. So many good people are in it. Like Cherie Curry from The Runaways is in it. Miley Cyrus is in it. Laura Jane Grace is in it and our former US ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, is in it. <laughs> like I was like, what is what is she doing in here? <laughs> Kathleen Hanna's in there a lot and so is Debbie Harry. They're all just worshiping Joan. And that is what I've been watching. I forgot one thing. We both watched the uh Lorena Bobbitt. <gasps> yes. We both watched Lorena on Amazon. Yes. And that happened in my hometown. Which is also my hometown. Yeah, so I was having flashbacks to all the places. It, didn't you say that the bodega person, somebody had sold her a water or something right after? What I said was, so Lorena lived in Manassas, worked in Centerville. I went to high school in Centerville at Centerville High School. And in Centerville, there was the nail artist where she worked. And it was right next to... Um, this grocery store where a lot of people from Centerville High School would work, um, including my friend Rufus. And during the trial, Rufus was working at the grocery store next to the nail artist, and he showed Lorena where the orange juice was. Beautiful. And Lorena did a number of Centerville High School girls' nails for prom. Ah, I'll tell you my favorite part about that. The craziest part to me is that nobody would say the word dick. All the ways that they got around saying penis was redonk. And then that cop that refused to pick it up when he found it in the field, picked the penis up, even though he was wearing gloves because he was religious. <laughs> I know. In what religion is it? Is it like trafe to pick up a severed penis when you're a, an officer of the law? And God have told you. I mean, you're putting it in a 7-Eleven hot dog container. Isn't that enough? <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> we both watched that, and it was good. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> you're welcome. Thanks also to our producer, Rachel Withers, the greatest producer of all. And our luscious audio engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente. <laughs> and to our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rems. You cannot find Callie on Twitter, so don't even no. try it. Um, but you can email both of us. I'm Emily Rems at Bust.com. I'm Callie W at Bust.com. And you can learn more about this show at Bust.com slash Pop Tarts. And finally, please rate and review this podcast 
on Apple Podcasts. We don't want to be like John Wayne Bobbitt's severed penis <laughs> hanging out hidden in a field in Manassas, Virginia, where nobody can find it. Everybody's looking for it. Nobody can find it. If you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, then they'll be like, oh, where's that funny feminist podcast? Oh, it's right there. You don't have to search for it in the night like a severed yes. penis <laughs> in a field. You hear what I'm saying. I know you understand where I'm getting at with this. Beautiful. It really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time. Mwah. Mwah.